Hi, and welcome to Second Rate Film School. I'm Andrew. I'm Jake. And I'm Jacob. Yes, after a reasonably long hiatus, we are back, the three of us. No more interviews, no more McDonald'sing, just the three of us back um, for 2021. So to ease back in, we're going to be doing a discussion, um, not an actual commentary this time, and we're going to be discussing the best theatrical, released in theaters, Batman movie. We'll quickly just go over all the Batman movies there have been theatrically, and then give our opinions on those, and then really delve into what is the best one. All right, starting off with Batman 66, um, the one that, I mean, technically there was the 40 serials, but we'll, I don't know, if, have any of us ever seen those ones? Wait, we're doing Batman? I thought we were doing The Green Hornet. I'm sorry, I accidentally watched the wrong films in preparation. But uh, Batman 1966, great, super funny. Um, that show, I, you know, that show is very popular, but I feel at the same time, it doesn't get its due for just how funny it actually was. Yeah, that it was, I think that movie, because I watched the movie more than the show, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I think it works on multiple levels. As a kid, you get the bright, colorful fights and all that. As an adult, you're getting a lot of the jokes that, like, I can't believe they were able to slip by, like, the 1960s censors and all that. So it's a lot of great fun watching it. Yeah, it's not just a romp. The The humor's actually very well written. And like Jacob said, the jokes land so well. Um, but they're just... It's just a great representation of Silver Age Batman, I should say. Um, yeah, that's... It, it's it's the best of what it needs to be, and it's it's a great extension of of the television show, which was, which was so enjoyable too. Also, Adam West is great as Batman. Um, okay. There's like a quote from him where he's like, "You can never wink at the audience. This is a man who dresses up as a bat and like fights crimes. You have to believe in it a hundred percent, and that's why it's so funny. He's like, you know, he's got the the corny, gray and blue costume on with the eyebrows, and he's like." got the not totally in shape figure and it's perfect he's really funny because he takes everything completely seriously exactly um, it's borderline condescending and it's it's really <laughs> funny well yeah he's he's not mugging to the camera that's i think that's how all great comedy works you have to play it completely straight and believe believe it within the moment and he totally does he he gets it so he he is the show that's why it works so well i think because of what jacob was referring to it's excellent comic timing. He's very straight-laced. You know, hello, citizen. Like, I love in the movie, he's when they're him and um, Catwoman are out for dinner, you know, he's got a brandy sniffer, but it's got fucking milk in it. Like, he's just so straight-laced. He's not even drinking, even though, like, Adam West was, like, what, 40 when they made that show? The movie and the show both had a really, uh, really funny sense to making fun of Batman, but also just kind of having gags that were funny unto its own outside of the, the context. So exactly. Uh, yeah, it, it was a great extension of that. Well, it, it, it became a pop culture phenomenon for, for a reason, I think. Um, it, it really, not only, I mean, it, it pulled from like the silver age of the, of the comics there, but it really kind of did do something on its own terms and it did it very well. And that's why it hit the zeitgeist like that. That's why it's still considered such an iconic part of, of the lore in and of itself. You don't have to exactly attach it to the source material, but that's what that's what great adaptations do in the first place. They they can stand on their own. Um, you know, it's crazy, and you know, we think now in the glut of superheroes that we get, it's like you know, Batman wasn't you know as big as he is now. That that um, I can't remember like what they said, but like it like caused Batman like readership like to go through the fucking roof with that. You know, it really 
mainstreamed him and like yeah it's like you said it's the silver age when they were a little bit more aw shucks at times with their comics but like it really was able to bring it like to a whole new audience and i don't know if we would have the rest of these necessarily without potentially adam west's batman no and you still remember the theme song that's even if you haven't watched the show you you know the theme in fact when you might think of batman in the music you might actually refer to the adam west theme i refer to prince personally that's actually a solid segue into the next movie yes so on to you know batman 89 so we had a few decades in between the longest gap we will see in between batman movies but yeah you know tim burton's batman to me this has always just been a great batman because it starts off he's been batman for a little bit you know he's going around and i like how it just shows like this is batman he takes the batmobile out He's going to go beat the shit out of just random muggers. Like, it's not always just supervillains. And I think that's where a lot of these movies, um, and it's not just Batman, superhero movies in general, don't show the, hey, I'm going around just stopping random crime. I'm here helping the average citizen on average. And that's what, to me, Batman is, was, hey, this city is corrupt. There's a lot of crime. I'm going out here. And then it just so happens oh shit a mega villain comes in that i'm also well suited to fight i myself love the timber and batman film that's i think that's what got me into the character that in the animated series so i it's it's the closest to my heart i i, I mean i love everything about it but i do have some problems with it i don't think it's a perfect movie and I, th- I think if it wasn't for tim burton's direction the movie would not have been as successful because the story yeah. the script it's not it is it's not quite there that's pretty much how I feel. I mean, I, I love the movie deeply. I can I know that movie by heart. I can quote every single Joker line. But it's a great B-plus movie. That's that's how I look at it. It's it's an imperfect gem, but a gem nonetheless. Yeah, I tend to agree with Jake on this. Um, I think that it's more groundbreaking than it is uh, a great movie. But I think it's a very good movie for what it is. Uh, I think just the story isn't totally developed. But... It's very close. Um, and I think it's it's more admirable. I don't like saying in the context of its time because it's still very watchable now. Um, but at the time to take what was considered a very campy character like Batman and not just make it dark, but have this very distinct vision for what that would look like, the, the Tim Burton vision. That was, that was truly some innovative stuff. And I give it a lot of credit. Um, well, I, and I think it's dovetailing between the Adam West movie and this one, I think it's just a testament to that Adam West film of just the, the shadow it had to come out from under because people, when Batman, the Adam West show is pretty synonymous with Batman at the time within the zeitgeist. So it's kind of ironic that, that the return to the roots of like a darker character that they had to return to in a way, but they still did it successfully. And that's, that's what kind of catapulted Batman to what we know today in a way. Yeah, well, that's exactly, I mean, like you said, you know, people obviously knew Batman, they read Batman, but the Adam West series was the defining Batman for the modern, typical audience. I mean, with Spider-Man, it would be the equivalent of the only thing the typical American audience knew of Spider-Man was the 60s show before Sam Raimi, and, you know, it shows how difficult, you know, the job Burton had with that, and I think, you know, did pretty admirable with it. So um, I think we could then kind of dovetail now into continuing with Burton, with uh, Batman Returns. Um, yeah, I, I really like Batman Returns. It's probably my favorite of the four, actually. Um, the four, you know, 
first four live action Batman movies from the late eighties, early nineties through mid nineties, I guess. Um, I think it's a fantastic Tim Burton movie. It hits all of those interesting little auteur elements that you find in all of his films and some of the biggest and most distinct ways out of his filmography. Uh, there's a good debate to be made over how true it is to the source material, both in terms of just pure accuracy, but also thematic accuracy. And I can understand that, but looking at the film objectively for what it is, it's just like a great monster movie. Um, it's about three very damaged individuals and the tragedy that is their lives. I largely agree with that pretty much. I, I think it's it's certainly the best of those original four. The, the first the first Batman is my personal favorite, but Batman Returns, I think, is a better movie. The better script, better story, with a more uh, cohesive theme that what Jacob referred to. And it's just more confident directing from, from Burton. I feel like with the first movie, there is sort of like a... a a push and pull between art and commerce there and Burton mostly went out, but there's still that sense of, of commerce there a bit in some places, but with Batman returns, that's, that's like a, a through and through Tim Burton film. It feels very, very personal. And yeah, he's just, he just coming to, he's coming more to himself as a filmmaker, especially after Edward Scissorhands. And I think he's everything, his sensibilities have coalesced and become more self-assured within that movie. And I, it's, it's, it's like a monster movie, like what Jacob said, and like the first movie too. But it's also I, I see it as like a like a dark fairy tale. It's yeah, it's it's a great film. Dark fairy tale is a good way of putting it. Um, I also think he probably had a little more creative control with this one. I actually yes. think that might have been uh, part of the deal to bring him back. That's a, it. It is a pretty dark, a lot darker. Like you know, compared it to um, the '89 one, I thought like oh, there's no way it could be much darker. It's like yeah, he definitely got away with a little bit more on that one and as we can, we'll get into the Schumacher ones. I think that scared the shit out of Warner Brothers from a consumerist standpoint. Yeah, yeah. made less money than the last one yeah. because of those things. And yeah, they, they, they pulled the McDonald's toys and everything. And a lot of the, I guess, the so-called soccer moms were complaining and then Warner Brothers heard that and they got real nervous. And then that's, that was what led to Batman Forever. But it's kind of funny because there's a story Tim Burton tells where he, he had a meeting for the third Batman movie and they he goes in that meeting room and they're just passively trying to convince him to not direct it. They're like, oh, why don't you just make a more personal film, you know, like a smaller film. And a few minutes in the meeting, he's like, you guys don't want me to make this movie, do you? And they're like, no, no, of course not. We do. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's like, yeah, because you look at it's not just like it's like dark as in violent. Like there's a lot of like weird mature elements and like weird sexual stuff in Batman Returns. Um, I'll always remember one of my favorite, well, one of my, one of the lines I remember the most in that is when the penguin's explaining his evil plan and he goes like, the sexes will finally all be equal when their erogenous zones are all blown sky high. <laughs> it's just like, what? Uh, this was like marketed to kids. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's funny because like there's definitely clashes like you know you have lines like that and biting a man's nose off and threatening to kill all the children like that's a pr like even though like you know Joker was you know gonna gas everyone in the t city essentially I somehow feel being like I'm gonna kill all the babies is a little bit of a darker plot you know, like, I know <laughs> it's smaller scale but yeah I mean it's a fantastic movie powerhouse performances between you know all of the leads in it. You know, really great. You know, it's um, a swan song, I think, for, you know, um, Michael Keaton's Batman. 
Actually, that's a good transition. Okay, so the next is Batman Forever, which is the third Batman movie. And I have to say, I love this movie. <laughs> I love it so much. Not only is it just, it's just a blast to watch, just a very fun popcorn action Batman movie. But I, I th I'm not going to say it's a good movie by any means, but I think there's a lot of great ideas in it where had Schumacher been given more control, you know, it, it'd been more, a little more straightforward and the, and the themes and, and things in the script had been given more time and more room. I, I think it could have been the best of those original four Batman movies because it's, it's the first Batman film to kind of go into his psyche in a way and, and explore that childhood trauma of his. Yeah, just personally, Riddler's my favorite Batman villain, and and uh, Jim Carrey's great in it. And I love Val Kilmer as Batman. I, I think he gives a very solid performance. Um, he knows what he's doing in it. He's playing it straight and everything. But I, he's, I think he's a very good Bruce Wayne in Batman. He's he's a lot of fun. I love Robin. I think Chris O'Donnell's a fantastic Robin. I uh, yeah, I noticed you conspicuously left one cast member out there. Um, <laughs> oh, would you like yeah, to well explain? Yes, well, Tommy Lee Jones' Two-Face, I will say, is the only irredeemably bad thing about the movie. I, yeah. it's, it's it's one of the worst comic book performances I've ever seen in my life. It's just, there's nothing good about it. He plays it so, not just over the top, but it's almost like Joker 2.0, where... Yeah, and he's that's sort like, of, and that's a Romero Joker, essentially. Well, and, yeah, but... It, Actually, well, that, yeah, seriously. It's just the wrong attitude, too, because... Uh, with that movie, the directing of Schumacher was like, remember, it's a comic book. And it's like, well, well, not quite like that. Comic books aren't quite like that. Two-Face plays it a little more straight in the comics. The most you get out of the, the duality element of his character is just a literal, like the literal gimmick of he wears suits that are half normal and half crazy. Or he has like henchmen that wear the masks that are like two different colors. Um, in terms of the character's psychology, other than like a couple of lines and the gimmick of flipping the coin, he's just a crazy person the whole time. And and Tommy Lee Jones is great casting as Two Face. He could have really played that role very well. Yeah, I think that that's the biggest thing is that it would have been a nice juxtaposition between, you know, Carrie's insanity as the Riddler, and you know they could have done like a more damaged, like you know, vengeful, like really just pissed off at the system. Two-Face, you know, where way back could have played to Tommy Lee Jones's, you know, acting prowess to, you know, give a great performance as, you know, essentially just like a man who's just like lost everything. His mind is snapped, but is a gruff badass. Like, I know he kills a bunch of people in the movie, but like, I'm not fearful of him nearly as much as I probably should. Like, I feel like I should be crapping my pants at the idea of Tommy Lee Jones playing Two-Face. Yeah, you're supposed to contrast the stoicism of Two-Face with the zaniness of the Riddler, but they're both just, oh my God, they're both so zany. They, they cancel each other out in scenes. I mean, they're a little, this is a movie kind of where fun. Tommy Lee Jones is trying to out zany Jim Carrey <laughs> to give you a sense for how wrongheaded the, uh, the direction of that character was. Well, is, isn't there that story where Jim Carrey talked about once where Tommy Lee Jones came up to him and he said, I don't like you. Jim Carrey saw him at a restaurant and went up to him and like, he was like, hey, we're working on this movie together. And, and Tommy Lee Jones just didn't want to talk to him and said, like, I cannot sanction your buffoonery. <laughs> Which kind of a dick move, Tommy, but whatever, you know. I, I'm, yeah. I can't even imagine Tommy Lee Jones watching Batman forever, let alone him playing this character. But, you know, there it is.
Well, he only did it b- because his son wanted him to do it. He, he said he had he wasn't aware of the character or anything, but his son implored implored it upon him, and that's that's why he did it. And he I, he just decided, oh, it's a comic book movie without doing probably any research at all. He's just like, I'm just gonna have fun. He probably I think he watched Batman the '60s Batman when he was younger. Remember remember Joker, and he's like. He probably saw like and like like the production design like concept images of um, Two Face like oh that's the clown one right that okay I'll just play it like Caesar Romero like had just vague recollection of what Batman was and that was it I think um, I imagine also going back to your point of I can't imagine him watching it I feel like if you ask him about it it would be like Michael Caine when you ask him about Jaws four where he'll be like I've never seen it before. I hear it's quite bad, but I've seen the house that it paid for, and it's quite enjoyable to live there. But, um, no, I mean, they're definitely pushing towards the direction of, like, that campier tone with this that you saw in the 60s Batman. It's, you know, obviously darker than that, but it's still trying to make things campier and also kind of play to Joel Schumacher's own sensibilities as director. Um, but at the same token, there is depth to mind in this movie. Um, it does get into the psychology, like Jake said, more than the other two, which left Batman at a distance as a character purposely. But now was the time to get into that. And I do I do appreciate how it did that. And it is a lot of fun, especially Jim Carrey, who is uh, perfect for what they're going for with the character. Well, there was a genuine attempt to try to make something insightful, I think, but it just got a lot of it just got gutted in the cutting room and, and just the directing, too, with which from the studio was just make it make it more fun lighten it up and everything so it it, get, it gets lost in the shuffle but there's stuff there there's still nuggets and everything that still make it an enjoyable movie yeah and i think uh you know going back to what jake said with like all the performances sans one you know i hear people like make fun of chris o'donnell in this and make fun of like val kilmer and i think they're like solid batman and robbins i think you know, chris o'donnell like they you had to do something different from the burt ward typical like oh, golly gee, Robin. And I think this was a good way to modernize him to, like, the mid to late 90s at that point of, yeah, he's a pissed-off team who's got a chip on his shoulder that Batman is trying to, like, prevent from going down a dark path and, like, trying to help him. And that that's a very interesting dynamic to take the Robin character into. Yeah, but, yeah, it, I mean, Joel Schumacher... I guess we'll go into this. I think I think this is like a good opportunity to go into Batman and Robin because we can talk about J- Joel Schumacher as a director too and and round it out like that. Yeah, um, Batman and Robin. I know that it's got a reputation as like an infamously terrible movie. Uh, I don't think it's good, but it's not it's not as bad as people make it out to be. I think it's more a case of it wasn't what people wanted it to be versus it being like truly a disaster. Um, to me, it's fun. It's basically Batman Forever, but without any of the depth. Yeah, it's also taking the Batman for- Forever formula. It's pretty much Batman Forever structurally, just nowhere near as good. I'll, I'll I'll go a step forward and say I think this movie is very bad. I was watching it, rewatching it last night, and everything. It's a bad movie. It's not the worst superhero movie ever, but it's definitely bottom of the barrel. But the uh, Schumacher's directing. The, I think Uma Thurman's performance is probably the best one in the movie because she's the only one who knows what's going on. She actually she matches the tone of everything. But 
you can watch it ironically and, and have a good time. It's like it's still like a fun, funny movie. If if you if you turn your brain on the right way with the right mindset, it's it's fun. I think it's more aware of what it is than people give it credit for. Um, oh yeah, it just uh, it it's pretty shallow when all is said and done. Um, there's like there's like some elements in there. Like I think like if you have to pick out a thematic through line here, it's about Batman finding his like family. Yeah, because it's like you know, he has to be like a mentor to Robin and then a Batgirl. And at the same time, like Alfred is dying. And so it's about him kind of becoming an adult while Robin and Batgirl are sort of like his protégés and he has to move past Alfred. But it's not, it's not really in there too much. There's like a couple insightful lines and moments, but it's kind of just lost in the sea of like the direction and the uh, crazy exuberance and camp and style and that stuff's all very fun for what it is but ultimately it doesn't add up to much and then not having alfred die at the end also really undercuts a lot of it yeah no i mean i i do enjoy it like i don't think it's nearly as bad as people say i'm not gonna be like the nostalgia critic and scream a back credit card job my god like it's definitely the campiest and i'd say the worst of the four of those movies um which I have to say, also, I love, um, you know, how we're talking about, like, the, it really does not feel like the Tim Burton movies and the Schumacher ones are in the same universe. I love that someone has created a theory. Have, have you guys heard about the theory with um, how these four are actually connected? No. Is that the so, Superman Returns thing? No, it's um, Bruce Wayne is just tired of being Batman and retires and, like, reveals who he's Batman. And then just like sells his life story. And the, <laughs> these are then movies that are made in that universe about Batman. But it falls, it's, a, it's a ridiculous series. But to me, it's even more hilarious because it falls apart because Alfred is the same guy and Commissioner Gordon's the same guy. So it's like, what? Does Bruce not pay Alfred enough that he's got to do this gig on the weekend? Like, Oh, goodbye, Master Wayne. I'm going to go to Hollywood and I'm going to be with Val Kilmer and George Clooney in that movie about your life. Well, no, Alfred was a failed actor and that's why he became a butler. That was like his side gig. And then when, you know, the life, the life story blew up, they thought it would be fu a fun gimmick to actually have him play the character. So uh, I just thought to bring that up because that is my favorite fan theory ever and it shows you why most fan theories are terrible. I, I thought you were going to say it was the Superman Returns theory, that Superman Returns happens between Batman Returns and uh, Batman Forever, <laughs> and just the whole city gets destroyed, and that's why it looks different in the next movie, because they rebuilt it as like a, a neon nightmare. It looks like a Tokyo strip club. But you know what? It's kind of cool. I, I kind of like appreciate it and like the weird sort of, the weird art style to it all. It, it doesn't yeah. look real, but that's, the, it, that's what's kind of cool about it. Well, yeah, that, that, that's the thing. Those are Joel Schumacher. I, I think he said it best in the in the behind the scenes for Batman and Robin. He's like, you know, this wasn't this wasn't someone else's fault. I want you to know that I was awake when these decisions were made. I made these decisions. You know, I so he was in control. He was just delivering what the studio wanted. I don't have a problem with a sillier, campier Batman. My problem with this movie is it was made for kind of cynical reasons to be more toyetic and appeal more to. Uh, more, appeal more to that toy market and appeal more to kids in a, in a more superficial way in a more commercial way and it, you can still make a great movie out of like ill corporate intentions but it just it's not a good movie so that's ultimately why I can't 
I, I can't love it as much. I still enjoy it on a certain level, but there's still that undercurrent of cynicism to it that holds it back for me. But um, but Joel Schumacher, you know, he he's a very good director. It's also an interesting directorial style to break down because you can see it in his other films. I always think in that movie, Eight Millimeter, there's like a character yeah. at the end of that movie who looks like he could have been a character from one of the Batman movies. Yeah. It's like sort of like a weird glammy campy but also almost like a bdsm inspired element to a lot of the characters and locales in this film and like you know your mileage may vary on whether you like that or not but it is like an interesting directorial style i think he made the the exact movie they wanted him to make i think he did that successfully it just all those elements just didn't turn into a very good movie yeah, well, and that's the thing that's, like, it's very clear the studios were, like, kind of terrified by, you know, Tim Burton Batman that, yeah, they wanted a consumer-friendly one. That's why you see he gets the different costumes across the different movies. So he, has, he starts in Batman Forever with the traditional Burton-esque Batman costume, and then, oh, it blows up. Well, we gotta get the new armor ones, and then, oh, you know, and Batman and Robin, oh, we gotta do the ice ones, and it's very clear, you know they're borderline trying like to sell toys there and that's like the um batman toy line is actually side note very interesting because the movies have changed essentially how toys for movies were made after this um when they did batman 89 um i think it was still kenner at the time was making the um action figures for it and they were kind of like a little bummed out because like well, we're only going to be able to sell one Batman action figure. But they're like, oh, well, with Batman, you just wear it the one. And Kenner just decided, you know what, screw it. We're going to make ten different Batman action figures that have nothing to do with this movie. So it's like you get, like, you know, armored Batman and shit like that that didn't show up in the Burton movies. And it's very clear to me, at least, it's that this was then an edict. Like, hey, have a couple different costumes so we can justify a few different action figures out of this that, you know, Warner Brothers wanted to make very profitable movies and like you said you know schumacher if he was given a hundred percent complete creative control didn't have that edict on him and all that to be a little less burton like with the intensity it would have been very interesting to see what would have been different with the final product and just different to see what would have happened with the hypo with that hypothetical fifth batman movie that schumacher uh that they wanted schumacher to make i i, I don't know if they if, if it would have been the same stylistically, or or would have been a, it would have been a bit darker because the scarecrow was going to be the villain. I don't know because I just know that Schumacher wanted to to take it darker, and I think if he had the choice, he would have. He was just yeah. directing the movie that the studio wanted him to direct. Now we've actually kind of have to go backwards in time for the next choice, but we wanted to keep it consistent with the theming of the quadrilogy here. But um, 1993's Mask of the Phantasm. So, you know, that was a um, very underrated, very you know, little known, I would say, at the time. You know, Warner Brothers did not push the advertisement nearly as much for that one. That To the point that a lot of people, um, I, I don't remember here, uh, well, I don't remember because it was the year I was born, but, like, I don't remember too many people talking about it until, like, the past 10 to 15 years. Even not too many people were talking about it in the maternity ward of the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Uh, poor phrasing, but like I don't remember like you know people like even referencing it as like a good Batman movie in you know the past few years, despite how popular the animated series is. Yeah, well, it flopped when it came out. Yeah. Uh, no, no one, no one. Saw, well, I hope now that is it on HBO Max now or Netflix or anywhere. I would hope it is. I don't know. Yes. Okay. Um, so, 
I'm I'm hoping it gets a second life. It's kind of you know, as much as something from Batman, an enormous like all-encompassing franchise, can be considered cult. It's got probably the biggest cult following out of all the movies we're going to discuss today. Um, I guess if I had anything to say about it, I'd say it goes deeper into the psychology of Batman and what drives him uh, than any of the other theatrical films do. It's a credit to just how deep this film goes with it. And I think part of the reason they're able to do that is because they have the animated series already as a backdrop. Yeah. And I think the, because as you said, Jacob, it does go in deep. I think having a line in there, um, it's when they're showing him like at his parents' grave and he's like crying the rain, you know, beautifully animated. You know, the music is great, you know, and all that. And he's like tearfully apologizing to them saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I never thought I counted on being happy or I never thought I would be happy. You know, it's like that just like really sums up his Bruce Wayne's fucked up psyche and why he does this, that he's just like, this is now my life. This has been ruined by what my parents said. This has put me on the path I am. And now he's conflicted. Do I want to do this? Cause I have a chance at happiness. It's like, that's a pretty fucking deep thing to put in a, let alone a movie that was definitively aimed more so to kids and like the 89 band. I know they had all the toys for all of them, but it's like, those were a little bit more adult oriented than this one was, at least with um, how I think Warner Brothers would have wanted to market it as. It's a great movie. I mean, it's from the the writers of the animated series, which is arguably the greatest adaptation of the character. Just a bunch of people who, who understood that character and they just wrote a, a terrific film um, and still wrote an original story where it touches upon his origins, but it's still something a little more about that. Like what Jacob said, it still goes within the psychology of him. It stems from the origin, but it, it's, it, it blossoms into something else. Well, and it's something we don't really get to see too often because yeah, we always get the origin of the dark alleyway, you know, leaving the movie theater, the fucking pearls being strewn across the sidewalk and all that. We don't usually get, you know, we'll get into it with Batman Begins, does it a little bit but we don't get the middle years like in between eight year old how old year old batman bruce wayne is supposed to be and then him being batman that it's very interesting to see the transition between those two yeah it's it's just a great movie about you know the past and the present how they affect each other in a way that that it's been i haven't watched it since the summer but that seems to be the theme of the movie in a way or at least one of them I think it's also great because it's just like a legitimately like good mystery. Like we forget knowing the twists and all that now, but it's like at the time, like if you didn't know it the first time going, it's like it's a good mystery, and that goes into a lot of these movies. Don't have Batman as the world's greatest detective element nearly as much as they probably should, but it's like you know he's sleuthing in there. That's actually yeah. a very good point. Yeah, that's that's the one thing I want to bring up. Bat- Batman is first and foremost a detective. He's he's a crime fighter second. Um, and this was the first time where, I, where it's actually some sort of mystery. And it's a very engaging one, too. That, And it's not just about the mystery. The, well, But the answers the, of the mystery are, speak more to the thematics and, and the character of Bruce Wayne. And now it ties back to Andrea Beaumont and that character. It seems obvious now that she's the phantasm, but maybe when you're a kid and when you're first watching it, not so much. And it yeah, thematically feel- lines up, which is the important thing. Yeah, that's the most important thing. I also love going back to um, 
how Warner Brothers really fucked up the marketing for this. Had the, the when they did the action figures for it, they just showed the Phantasm action figure, and they don't have the mask on, so you just see it's Andrea on it. It's like, man, you really just not even like you can't even put a sticker over it. Like you can't leave the mask on. But yeah, no, overall very enjoyable movie. You know, not yeah, it's, much. It's to say it's about. arguably the maybe the best. That's arguably. I guess we'll go to that when we discuss. Yeah. What we think the best one is. But... Let's but... let's keep moving though. Um, yeah. Next up is Batman versus Mister Freeze. Sub Zero. Sub Zero. No, we're we're going into the Nolan films now, into Batman Begins, which is um, probably one of the best superhero origin films ever made, in my opinion. Um, yeah. That you know. I think what makes it really work is it really um, gets into the motive of why Bruce Wayne became Batman, something that was skirted skirted upon and sort of hinted at in previous films, like the Burton one. But this one really gives you an A to B to C progression as to how Bruce Wayne went from a little kid to a guy who dresses up as a bat and fights crime. And you completely buy it. You completely understand it. And it makes for one of the more human at human versions of that character on film, in my opinion. Yeah, it's it, it's a wonderful representation of the origin story, and not just the, the origin story, but portrayed as like the hero's journey. That that's to me what Batman Begins is. It's it's the hero's journey. It's not the origin act is like one of the biggest components of that, but it's it's more of like the breadth of this guy's life and into how and why he becomes Batman and the and the idea of batman obviously thematically it plays into the idea of fear and everything but it's a great movie <laughs> yeah i actually like and you know it goes back to what we said about phantasm that yeah you're right it shows like the we get to see b c and d before we get to e of him dressing as a bat in here um versus some of the other movies just do yeah you know you see the alleyway and then therefore that automatically makes him batman that it's very interesting to see how um, they portray early 20s when he um, is contemplating killing um, his parents' attack or murderer. But then, like, you know, in that moment, you know, Rachel saying, you know, your, parent, your father will be ashamed of you has his first thing of it's not good to kill. And then, you know, it progresses to I just got to get out of here. He's looking for meaning. Then gets into the League of Shadows. And then, like, you know, progresses. You know, he's getting pissed off. He's fighting with anger, you know, that, on the famous ice scene. And then, you know, eventually you know goes into being the ninja element of batman you know being able to be agile and all that and then you know being like i'm not going to murder this man you know in cold blood you know and then finally transitioning into batman it's just very you know great that we see the progression of i'm not going to kill in cold blood out of anger for vengeance to i'm just not going to kill anyone in general i think this is where the the realism approach that Nolan took really shows its strength in terms of tracking, like tracking motivation and tracking the psychology of the character, because you really understand how he gets from point A to point B to point C in his life. Um, and you can, by the time he puts that costume on, it seems like the obvious choice, not the fantastical one. I mean, it's hard because these movies have been talked about to death. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not looking forward, even though <laughs> I'm not looking forward to the Dark Knight part of this conversation, because I don't, I don't even know what else to add. Yeah, that, that's um, a thing. But, but I, Batman I, Begins, I, I will say, is kind of, since the Dark Knight 
I don't want to say people have forgotten about it, but people tend to, for good reason, focus on the Dark Knight. But Batman Begins kind of gets the short end of the stick sometimes. Where, uh, and I and I, I think it's it's better than the Dark Knight Rises. But uh, it's, I it's just it's a, it's a wonderful film that that at the time was like the best Batman movie that really goes into the psychology of Bruce Wayne as a very character focused uh, movie about him and. It's, yeah, it's just a great example of the hero's journey. Yeah, I mean, I still get chills, like, watching it, and, like, when he's on the train at the end, and, like, him being like, you know, I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. Like, it just sums up, like, you know, he, what he has learned, and it's a great Batman line in there. Yeah, it's, I love it. Uh, <laughs> I also love the ending with the Joker card. Like, I think that is the perfect sequel tease of all time like if they had never made another with christopher nolan never got to make another batman movie i would have been contented with that just being and the tease of the joker and him just being i'll look into it i think it's well, yeah, a the, great line it, yeah it's not like sequel bait it's it's just that was an extension still open like yeah. but it, it it's more about the this this partnership yeah. between the, these two men coalescing at, at the yeah. very end there where they they trust each other and he and he's he's trusting this vigilante to look into this to this criminal you don't even have to know who the fuck the joker is it's just it's more about that relationship and that's just that's just like the the frosting so all right well now i guess moving into the dark knight i'm sure you know no one's heard of this is probably the most obscure of the batman movies i'd say not many people watch it yeah i i really it's one of those things where it's been dissected to death but for good reason it really is that good it's just a great movie um both an excellent breakdown of batman as a character but also just a great batman story and a wonderful movie about order versus chaos and the precipitous balance between the two all right so the dark knight rises i mean <laughs> yeah, yeah. i just say, I, I i like it's just like what else what else do you add to the conversation i don't yeah. know what do you what do you guys think look it's the best batman movie it, it's it's not it's adding to what you said jacob it's a great crime story the, the the interesting thing that no one likes to do with each of the three movies is that each of them are its own movie and its own genre the first one is like the or is the hero's journey the second one is like a crime movie very much very inspired by michael mann's heat um and that's that's an interesting about it too and it, and it speaks to just the multiple genres that batman can inhabit he he doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be a detective movie right or he doesn't have to be a detective but he can really fit into any of these things and just tell a great Batman story, and this is one of the you know. It's Heat's uh, yeah, Heat. There's obvious. There's like the obvious reference to Heat at the beginning, but like it's a good point of comparison because it is like such a great cat and mouse chase. That whole that whole movie between Batman and the Joker, um, very constantly one upping each other, and uh, the the level and the stakes to which it goes to. Very reminiscent of De Niro and Pacino. And heat yeah. it's it's like that similar spine and well i i will speaking of spine i i do think using nolan's words like the backbone of that movie is like harvey Dent. i i will say i know heath ledger's given all the acclaim rightfully so but aaron outcart's performance as harvey Dent, i i does not get enough credit i he yeah. i you take that character out of that movie that the movie is not as good like it's he's he like the balance points yeah yep he's the thing that's that's in between them and ultimately it's the fight between light and dark, and he loses in the end. 
it's the it's like the fight for his soul basically yeah. is what the whole movie is about yeah and it's it's the fight for gotham's soul too yeah symbolized by him even though i am picking a different one from this one to argue for i will still say this is probably the best movie um of all of them i think this is the just best best made one you know i think this is when christopher nolan like really hit it on all cylinders as much as i love batman begins don't dislike batman or don't dislike dark knight rises as much as a lot of people do it's just yeah this is clearly the best one he's done you know it was the best um all the performances are great in them i mean like you said you know aaron eckhart doesn't get nearly enough credit in it um, you know, when we see where we've gone from in, like, what, 1996 um, with um, Tommy Lee Jones to, like, a little over 10 years later with this, you know, it really shows that, no pun intended, the duality of um, Two-Face and what you can do with it. I think it's just a very well-done um, character for this movie to have. Like, this is, like, going to be the definitive version of both Joker and Two-Face for a very long time. This is who any future versions we'll have to compare to for a long time to come. Spoilers, I don't think Jared Leto is good as Heath Ledger. Well, let, let's just, I guess, close it out and say that this is just, it's not just a great Batman movie, it's a great Christopher Nolan movie. This is one of his best movies. It, it is a classic. And that, to me, that's what makes a comic book movie great, in my opinion. I, I think it's the perfect balance between something that, that's very filmmaker driven that they get to make in a personal way, but still balance with an understanding of the source material. That's what, that's what I think. Anyway, I, I think the best kind of movies have done that. He made it, he made a crime movie. He, you know, Chris Nolan was able to make a very personal crime movie, but use the Batman characters as a means to tell that story. Yeah. And it's a testament to him as a filmmaker and a testament to, to the malleability of, of the, the Batman characters. You stole the word right out of my mouth. Malleability. I wish I could pronounce that word, and I would agree. Well, you know, it's not malleable. Some of the structure to Dark Knight Rises. Uh, tell that to oh, the writers. snap. Yeah, okay, so Dark Knight Rises. It's the black sheep of the trilogy. I don't dislike it as much as many people do. I will say off the... Again, no pun intended, right off the bat, um, my biggest problem with it is how many years pass between dark knight and then this that batman's like retired because i never have liked the idea of batman retiring and like when we get into our arguments of our favorite movie that's you know that'll play a big part into i don't like the idea the only way i think bruce wayne retires is if he's no longer physically able to like if it's like batman beyonds where he's like a now an elderly man like and can physically not do it anymore um so i didn't like the idea that he retired i get the whole thing that the dent bill um, pretty much got rid of all major crime. There's no been no jokers or scarecrows since then. But to me, the idea that he's just like, eh, no, my girlfriend, her pseudo-girlfriend died, I'm completely done with this, was my biggest um, flaw with it. And I don't think he really needed to retire. I don't see the purpose really structurally for his retirement. Um, I think it would have worked better if he was getting to the point where he's like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I want to stop, but I at the same time no i shouldn't and then that's the whole point of the police force at the end he knows they can take care of themselves i think that would have been thematically stronger than what we got i was fine with all that actually yeah um, i i actually kind of I, I like this movie I, quite I, a bit. I, yeah i i love it i the thing is it's like return of the jedi for me 
or yeah, the previous two movies are more superior, but I, I still love this movie and it's yeah. I think it's I still enjoy. great, even though it's imperfect and it's flawed and it is better than Return of the Jedi, but um There's I, no Ewoks in this. <laughs> but I, I just love the story and I, I think it might be my favorite Bruce Wayne story out of all the Batman movies. It, it's I just love how it just it's so focused on him this time and I love the idea of a retired Bruce Wayne coming to terms with with everything and coming back to be Batman. That's that's an interesting story that you can't really get in comics. I just just an ending to the character. Like that's that that's the whole point to to the story. It's it's the end of of Batman. You can't do that in comics because Batman is infinite. You have to keep making Batman stories so he can't reti- really retire on his own terms. But in this one I I do love seeing that story of of seeing a retired Batman. But it but it goes back to the to the idea in Batman Begins where that is kind of the point. This this isn't a permanent thing. It's it's temporary. He even says that on the plane of Batman Begins. It, it and even in the Dark Knight when he wants Harvey Dent to replace him, he doesn't want to keep doing it. And then that all that all goes horribly wrong in the second one. So that to me, from a structural kind of like a three act perspective, after the all is lost moment, the, the hero coming back from his self-imposed exile and coming back to be Batman in this one last hurrah story where he gets to finally save the day one last time and prove that bat, that the idea of Batman can't work and inspire the city to take up after him. It is uh, a great culmination of things, both for that character, but both for the series at large as well. Um, no, I, I really, I like this movie. Um, you, Jake, you just summed up how uh, the, the strength of Bruce Wayne's arc in this movie, but also uh, Bane is a lot of fun. Um, mm. The uh, I, I like the stakes, which basically go as far as you possibly can go in a, a movie trying to be this realistic. Um, it basically like pushes the limits of this universe to the brink, but it never goes over the edge. And so that's kind of fun. And it's a great culmination to that. Uh, if I have issues with this, I think it gets thematically a little muddled uh, in terms of Bane's plan and how that relates to the citizens of Gotham. There's like an interesting idea there of the rich versus the poor and Batman is part of the rich and how the disenfranchised people turn against the city. So it's like, what is Batman fighting to protect anymore? But that gets kind of lost in the shuffle of Bane's grand plan and how complex that gets. Um, and kind of gets lost and underserved. And then finally the police just show up at the end and fight everybody. And I guess order is restored, but uh, lip service is paid to that element, but ultimately it's not developed too well. Um, that being said, it's hard for me to criticize it too much when the story itself is kind of an exciting and engaging light adaptation of No Man's Land. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, with my criticisms aside of like you know, how I disagree with you guys, I still enjoy it um, more than you know a lot of people. It definitely is the lowest um, rated, I believe, on you know, the three um, of the movies. I I enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, are we kind of stretching the bounds a little bit here with you know the no man's land and the world we've seen? Sure, but I'll accept that the government's kind of hamstrung by like a fucking nuke. And all that, I'll I'll buy it. Um, I enjoy it for what it is. I think um, it's uh, there's great moments in it. I love the opening scene with the plane and all that. Like that's just like such a well shot scene, and like uh, so many other moments. That's like for all the flaws there are in it, I still enjoy it. It's I'd rather watch it than a lot of other superhero movies. No, like it's if like you 
if you told me going into the dark knight rises back in 2012 <laughs> that the plot to the sequel the dark knight was going to be about batman having to disarm a science fiction fusion device that was going to blow up the city i would have been like <laughs> yeah okay but you know what they they execute it in a way where it works where i i i just just believe it in the reality of the world. It, yeah. it just barely works. That and then they go into the basement, and there's like the big sci-fi device down there, and it's like glowing green, and has like the countdown timer, like countdown till core activates. But it, yeah. I buy it. Yeah. This is where you get into like the the convoluted Chris Nolan. This is where some of his flaws come out in this movie, where, where they're they're starting to to rear their head. Well, I think it feels that way because it's a little thematically confused. Like, The Dark Knight arguably has a convoluted plot, but it completely works because the um, it's all based around this uh, order versus chaos conflict with Harvey Dent right in the middle. And here, it's like Bane's plan. Like, I, I get what he wants to do. He wants to destroy the city, but it's a little confusing what his motives are, um, mainly towards the end with the reveal of Talia. Um, and as a result, the convolution is a little harder to track because it's not as thematically grounded. Well, the trouble with the third movie is you're not only having to conclude the threads from before, but you have to introduce new things and conclude those new things. So you're doing two things at the same time and you have to do it in a satisfactory way. It's hard to do it. It's, it's been done, but, um, doesn't quite do all that, but for the most part, it gets it right. Cause like Return of the Jedi, despite its flaws, it, it delivers upon the, the journey of its lead protagonist in a, a very satisfying way. Um, I love Bane in it, and just until the fucking end when he's like Talia's lapdog, I, I just did not, I did not like that. It really undercuts his his threat as a villain. I I wish they cut out Talia entirely. I, all the Talia yeah. stuff could have been Catwoman. Um, I think there's a way stuff. to do that. It just they didn't find it. Uh, Bane, Bane, Bane just gets shuffled off the chessboard at the very end unceremoniously. And yeah. if you're going to do that, there has to be like a real purpose behind it. Unless the whole point of the movie was that Bane was nothing, that he was just like, uh, you know, a lapdog, like yeah. you said, Jake. But that's not clear. And that's yeah. not textually there in the movie. So it just kind of comes across as underserving. I will say just to cap with that, uh, I do love how it ends with Bruce Wayne being happy. That's yeah. something that we will probably I never like see in the comics, in the current ongoing comics. But I like seeing that he gets a life and he gets to go off with Selena Kyle, which is something that, that she always wants in the comics, but never happens. But it's just nice to see Bruce Wayne happy. Yeah. I yeah, I I really like that movie. You know, uh, criticisms and flaws aside. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we're done, right? There were no more Batman movies. No, there's not. Um, so moving on to Batman v Superman. Uh, so here, okay. So here's the thing. I, you know, when we talk about like, you know, which ones you like, which ones you don't like, I, you know, I pretty much like all of them. Uh, if there was one that I didn't like, I guess it would probably, if there was one that I like really hated, I guess this would come the closest, but even now, like, you know, with this one, I, I think it's really bad. But there's at least like a, an interesting artistic vision to dissect, and that's more than I can say for like Justice League. Um, but uh, no, make no mistake, it's a little bit like sitting through a funeral. This movie, yeah. Um, I will say, full disclosure, I've not seen this one all the way through. 
the closest I came was one night I went over to the Jakes to visit, and they were just showing me random clips. Like, Jacob was fast-forwarding through, like, the, fast-forwarding. And so he's like, here, watch it. And he shows me, like, the fucking fight scene in, like, the warehouse or whatever. Then, like, showing me, like, you know, the fight with Superman. You know, do you bleed? And then that's all I saw. And they're like, do you want to watch this? And I said, I'm fine. My thoughts about this movie pretty much summed up by Sergio Leone after he saw The Last Temptation of the Christ. And he looked at Willem Dafoe and he said, that is not the face of our Lord and Savior. That is the face of a murderer. And that was pretty much me coming out of Batman vs. Superman. That was not the face of Batman. That was the face of a murderer. Yeah. That is not Batman. That is that is a, a sadistic murdering criminal. <laughs> yeah, you know... It's, uh, I dare I say, you know, because uh, yeah, I saw this you know, in theaters and I, I walked out and I was just like, oh my God, like, I, I was like, I was physically uncomfortable sitting through that movie. But on the other hand, um, there is like an argument to be made that it's more what people don't, more, it's not what people wanted to see versus what it actually is um so i'm trying not to judge it because i wanted to have like a more even balanced take on these characters but i think even for what it is it's pretty flawed um i know there's like an extended there's an extended three-hour r-rated cut of the movie that fleshes things out a little bit more but even then um i just think a lot of the contrast is lost when batman and superman are both as dark as they are in that and yeah. really kind of makes the characters fighting each other uh kind of makes it it makes it a lot less interesting if they're both just like dark scowly you know murderers and yeah, i guess uh, that's one way it, to put it yeah and I, I think that the whole idea of like a older batman is interesting but because we never got to see him in his prime and we never got to see him disenfranchised it's based a lot in like an assumed empathy so when you're introduced to this Batman, he's just like a straight up unlikable, kind of like an unlikable bastard. It's branding people and killing them. And so it makes it like harder to accept the redemption at the end when he um, he has his like his, uh, his change of heart after fighting Superman. And then it's made even more difficult to accept his change of heart when he just keeps murdering people uh, again afterwards. And that's when you kind of realize, well, it's, yes, there is an idea of like a Batman that's gone too far here, but also I think just Zack Snyder likes having heroes who just violently murder people like this. And again, I, I'm not judging, um, you know, if you, if your vision of Batman is a Batman who throws a box at some guy's head and makes it blow up in blood, then power to you. But uh, I just um, think it's a lot less interesting if he's and less less likable if he's just a all-out killer and monster like that. Yeah, it's not Batman. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like I, I'm all for the subjectivity of Batman. It's just there are certain tenets you have to have. Like, say what you want about like the, the lighter and campier visions. That, that may not be your thing. Fine, but Batman's not going around murdering people. I'd say let's move on now. We're I think we're done. Last movie but, is uh, Lego Batman. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know what? This is one of those movies that I actually, I really like this movie. Um, I I guess, you know, um, 
preface, I am a big fan of Lego. I'm very interested in the history of the company and its products. So I'm a little biased in that regard. This movie to me is interesting to analyze from a broader perspective of these like, these sort of like metatextual movies that are about the brand versus about like the character. But this is an example of a good one. I, I think in the 2010s, we started seeing films like the like the original Lego movie or like Spider-Verse, which these new installments would come out that were about the brand itself and the franchise and what it means in the real world versus um, just like a story about the characters. And this has that element of it where all the villains appear and there's a lot of like inside jokes about Batman mythology and like it references the other movies, but this one works because it's still grounded in Batman's character arc. And this actually does the arc of the Batman and Robin arc of Batman needing to, you know, needing to kind of like accept this new family and this, uh, you know, accept others in his life, but it does it a lot better. Yeah. I mean, it's just obviously the most different one that we've talked about tonight. Even though there is another quote unquote kids movie. It's obviously the most different, but you know, it's, it's nice, and I don't think you could have done this movie um, 10 to 15 years ago. I think, like you said, with Into the Spider-Verse and Lego Movie, these now work more now. They work more now with when you see all these giant properties, and in the case of Batman, every few years we're resetting Batman. So it's like, in the 80s, you couldn't do that, because it's like, okay, well, we had the 1960s Batman, and now we have Michael Keaton. Now, you know... 30 years later, you have people know Adam West Batman. They know Michael Keaton Batman. They know um, Batman the Animated Series. And they know George Clooney. They know Ben Affleck Batman. They know Val Kilmer Batman. That it's now such a big, indelible part of pop culture that everyone knows about that. Now is time when it's ripe for parody, satirization, how you want to phrase it, or metatextual look into it. See, I think, I think there's a cynical underpinning to that sometimes where if you make a movie that's just about like the brand, it, it ends up becoming more about like this sort of totemic response that you have to these things. And it's more about reinforcing the brand versus telling a story. Um, and I think the weaker films in uh, I guess this sort of genre of meta textual celebration of franchises just turn into that. They turn into like basically 90 minute to 120 minute long films just telling you to keep loving the brand. Um, the reason why this doesn't do that, because it has those same elements where it's all about, oh, remember, you know, remember the other movies and the Bat Nipples and the Adam West show and don't you love all this stuff and love this brand. Um, the reason this doesn't turn into that is because it does nail down the character arc of the, the Batman character arc and really does, um, it, it, it prioritizes that first and foremost. And the uh, the whole the the meta aspect of it is in service of the character arc, not the other way around. I, I unfortunately I haven't watched this movie since theaters, uh, which I, I should go back and and do. But uh, that pretty much sums up my feelings about it. It's 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 a great movie. It's a lot of fun. There we have it. Our views on all the theatrical Batman's. Now we're going to get into which we think is the best, and we'll hash it out a little bit long more on those specific ones.
I personally like Batman 89, I think is the best one because as I've said with the Dark Knight Rises, um, my problem with it is I like the idea of Batman is just always there. Like he, whether he wants to be there or not, he is duty bound to be out there that he's not just there for big things like big organized crime. That's just like, it's comforting, like seeing like the idea that he is just there. Like I'm going to beat the shit out of a mugger who's trying to rob a family on the street, or I'm going to be going after the Joker. I think Michael Keaton um, really nails the duality of Bruce Wayne and Batman in that uh, movie. You know, he plays a man who is, you know, on the surface to most people, like when he's at the party, is, you know, a guy that they can get all get along with, but then he's still the very reserved Bruce Wayne. Um, and yeah, I think it's just great. Overall, you know, the st- stakes are very high. I like what he has to do to take down the joker i like his inadvertent creation of a joker nicholson all of them are great no i mean i i really like batman 89 um i just i think the dark knight is the strongest out of all the films that we've uh we've discussed here batman 89 um again groundbreaking but uh not without its flaws i i have a hard time once you really get into the story there tracking the joker's motivation and yeah. uh, his plot and his plan. Um, I get a vague sense that it's supposed to be, he's just lost his mind and is causing anarchy now, but it's not totally clear because he's also consolidating all the gangs under his control. And um, I think the most that I get out of that when all is said and done um, in terms of like the large sort of point is that Batman and Joker are two monsters who inadvertently created each other. And that's nothing wrong with that. That's cool. Um, just doesn't all quite add up. It's more like a very, very good, cool movie with a unique vision behind it. Whereas Dark Knight, it's just like tight scripts, super thematically focused, super well-directed, excellent performances all around. Um, and it's probably just like one of the best movies to come out of the 2000s in terms of like Hollywood films, like big Hollywood films and whatnot. Yeah, Jacob pretty much took the words out of my mouth. Yeah, the Dark Knight I, I consider to be the best Batman film for exactly those reasons. I won't go into it because, again, the movie's been talked to death and we already talked about it. But no, so to your point, though, I will say Dark Knight is the better movie. It is one of the best movies. It is definitively the best movie on the list. I, For me, though, I have a difference between best movie and best Batman movie, hence the title of this. That I still think for all of its flaws, you know, this is the movie that if I had to show someone, like, who is Batman? I would say it's the Michael Keaton Batman, in my opinion. I like the fighting the crime, like I said, you know, big and small, you know, that I like the idea that, yeah, no, he wasn't created, you know, going after organized crime specifically. He's just going after any crime he sees. You, you're jaywalking, you're a criminal. You're, you're an, or, you know, he's going after organized and disorganized crime. Um, and I think, you know, it's just a, a very different portrayal that we see. And, you know, again, you know, I'm glad we see the different portrayal. I love the um, Nolan Batman movies. But just something to me, and maybe because it's, you know, it's the one that I saw as a little kid. It was my first Batman movie. I saw it, I think, even before the Adam West one. That it's always held true that that's what Batman is to me. I mean, I think Kevin Smith also had a good way of summing it up when he was talking about the difference between the various Batman's is uh, movies is Christopher Nolan made a fantastic crime movie that was almost like the French Connection 
with the cop wearing a cape in this, whereas it is definitively a superhero movie, I think, with Batman 89. And that's why, in my opinion, Batman 89 is the best. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I, I think The Dark Knight is just as much of a comic book movie, but in its own way. It just depends. I think it just comes down to the vision of the filmmaker and their sensibilities. I, I think they're all very Batman. You can pull... There's so much from Batman you can pull from each of those movies. It just comes down to your preference and, and what you like. But it sounds like your your vision of Batman is more in line with Tim Burton. For me, I prefer more of the detective Batman, which we haven't really seen that yet in the movies, but we are going to see in the Matt Reeves film. But but that doesn't mean I, I don't love all the other Batman. Again, like I just explained in all the other, all the other movies, there's stuff that I love of Batman at, out of every movie. I think that's a good button yeah. to end on. Yeah, so, well, we've hoped you've enjoyed our nearly two-hour look into every Batman theatrical movie. We thought this was going to be a short half-hour thing for me to edit. I picked that exclusively to make it easier on myself, but, hey, I think we had a fun time, and we should do this more in the future. Next up, which is the best Superman? Dean Kane, by the way. <laughs> good night, everybody. <laughs> Same bat time, same bat channel. Oh, look at that. You did the thing. <laughs>